0: Coming up on Nurse Talk, imagine a future where people with type 1 diabetes won't need to take insulin for months, possibly years at a time, thanks to a small implant.
1: It's called encapsulation and Dr. Julia Greenstein is here to talk about it.
0: Why is filmmaker Michael Moore invading other countries?
1: And don't wait, tell me now, our Nurse Talk weekly quiz.
0: All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today.
1: Shane, we have a lot going on today, and we're very excited to have a very distinguished guest with us, Dr. Julia Greenstein. Dr. Greenstein is the Vice President of Discovery Research for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And you know, with the staggering numbers of diabetes out there, This has got to be an incredible place to be right now.
0: Yeah, as anyone living with type 1 diabetes knows, it can be a full-time job to manage the disease. Well, imagine a future where people with type 1 diabetes won't need to take insulin for months, possibly years at a time thanks to a small implant.
1: It's incredible. Shane, the groundbreaking therapy is called encapsulation, and Dr. Greenstein is going to talk about the details and about past and current human clinical trials. Stick around. This is really an incredible conversation.
0: And right now, why and how is Michael Moore invading other countries? Our healthcare in America reporter Donna Smith is with us. Donna, talk about your friend Michael.
2: Oh, thank you for asking me about Michael. Uh, his new movie, uh, Where to Invade Next, uh, just came out, just was released nationwide yesterday, actually. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. I, I've only seen snippets of it so far. I'm going to see the whole film myself in the next day or so. But um, he the premise of it is that he goes to he spent a number of years visiting different countries and finding out what they're doing differently from us that's making for a different result in a variety of areas.
1: Fascinating! What a great idea to do that. And do you know what countries he went to?
2: Oh gosh, uh, several of the European countries, and then did a, a swing through uh, Central America, which was fascinating and talking about some of the difference in. Uh, drug policy that countries have. In particular, one uh, one really amazing uh, situation that, that we often don't talk about in this country is other countries have decided to decriminalize drug use yes. uh, almost completely in that they see it as a public health issue yes. and one in which people should be treated rather than jailed. And that that's the better way to get at the issue. And I think it's uh, it's a fabulous way for Michael to really—it might be a little controversial for some people in this country who still believe we ought to jail everybody who has, a, has an issue with drug problems, but Portugal has done so, Ireland has done to a great degree, so it, it's pretty exciting.
1: Well, unfortunately, in this country, we make so much money off of people locking them up and keeping them in the court system. That's, that's such a bummer.
2: Yeah, What absolutely. other things did he find out? Well, and that's one of the issues, too. What a great uh, issue to bring up, the issue of how we handle people who've been um, charged and convicted of a crime. You know, there are different ways to have people be imprisoned. They don't have to be you know, used as profit profit motives by uh, private prison companies the way we tend to do in this country and what we've done more of. In other countries, you know, they have some really innovative ways to in, in prisons to really try and help rehabilitate people to build their lives. Because sadly, the reality is so many people who end up in prison, you know, but for the grace of God go any one of us
1: in mm-hmm. terms of,
2: of making some bad error, that causes us to be, you know, incarcerated for some reason. People are savable, at least I believe that. And I think Michael Moore certainly believes that. Plus, it's better for society. We have the highest incarceration rate of any industrialized nation on the planet. We put more people in prison, and it might be better if we helped educate them and helped rehabilitate them in ways that are really meaningful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, did he find anything out about health care while he's traveling around?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, health care, of course, is one of those issues that we, we've been talking about ever since Sicko came out in 2007. And we're still leading the globe in one area in health and that's our spending by more than double. So Michael, of course, visited countries and talked about, you know, how do you get health care? Well, people don't even wonder. They just go when they're sick or they're hurt. And they need care. They don't. Their first thought isn't whether or not they're going to go broke or whether they have enough money in the bank today for a copay and meds or whatever may be needed. So, of course, I mean, he always, he always uh, loves to talk about France and, and how well they've done with health care, and that's certainly, um, certainly justified to talk about France. But as Bernie Sanders has pointed out this year, too, we are the only, the only country on Earth, um, advanced country on Earth, that has not found a way to provide health care to every man, woman,
1: and child. Well, not only that, but the numbers. um, So our outcomes are so much poorer than the other countries because when you have health care your whole life and you don't have to wait until you're really, really, really sick to go, you get better care. Which, speaking of health care, how is Michael doing? I heard that he was in the ICU recently
2: was and that and he put out a call to to everybody in his network, and he has not done this before he was in the i c u with a, a serious obviously out of pneumonia. And uh, was there for several days, and has since been released home to recuperate there with family helping him and so forth. But uh, much to he did not want to scale back. I mean, normally, when a movie of his is released, he travels all over the country and appears on every show, and and does all the PR surrounding it. Well, he had to cancel all of that because anybody who's ever had pneumonia or cared for somebody with pneumonia knows it's nothing to mess around with. And so he's been under the weather and asked people to help, you know, spread the word that his new movie has come out and take, go see it, take a friend. Uh, they don't have to be a Michael Moore fan to like uh, like the movie and see, you know, a real discussion about what the rest of the world is doing on some of these issues.
0: And is it playing all over our big theaters or is it harder to find? Is there an online source? How how can we send there people to it? There is an
2: online source. You can go Where to Invade. Next dot com is a great place to go. Uh find he's got a whole listing of where you can see the film. And it's not hard to find. For instance, here in Denver, there's one of our kind of artsy theaters where, where Michael's stuff always shows, but there are a couple of other really large uh theaters, one of the main some of the mainstream theaters showing it as well. So I don't think people will have a hard time seeing it. I just think if you've supported Um, this kind of documentary filmmaking in the past to really talk about some of these issues. Go see where to where to invade next and and support Michael Moore.
1: You know, I think it's brilliant. And I think the work he's done has gone unsung. I mean, this is a guy who after his first movie came out, he had death threats. He had to hire people. Uh, People were trying to kill him. It was very serious and continues to be. And, you know, is free speech dying in our country? that when you're on the cutting edge like him, you have to hire to be protected. It's it's kinda scary out there when this stuff happens. So Donna, just remind people, you know Michael because you were in Sico, yes?
2: I was. And I went, my husband Larry and I were the subjects of one of the some of the subjects of Michael Moore's film about the broken health care system in this country. And it's interesting you mentioned the the death threats and the security that he needed to have because he and I chatted about it. I was one of the people who went to Uh, Cuba with him for health care in the film, for those who saw it and remember the jaunt to Cuba. And Michael talked to me about that and how horrifying it was to him that people, just because of his position on issues and making films, that people wanted to kill him, made threats against uh, his family and it's just a terrible thing to have that happen. He's been very heroic in standing up in situations where many, many people wouldn't, and often reminds people, including Megyn Kelly on Fox recently, he's an Eagle Scout, and she kind of scowled at him and goofed up her face and said, really, as if that couldn't possibly true be true. Mm-hmm. And I thought, who better? Who better to represent Eagle Scouting than someone like Michael Moore, who takes his love of country, far enough to stand up even to death threats to continue to speak out about what he believes is
0: right. Excellent point, and we really appreciate it. Give our regards to Michael, please. We always appreciate it, Donna, and we're going to make sure to see the new film. And for more information, as she said, uh, on Michael and Where to Invade Next, visit wheretoinvadenext.com. Thanks so much, Donna. It's good to talk to you.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to Healthcare in America with Donna Smith.
0: Imagine a future where people with type 1 diabetes won't need to take insulin for months, possibly years at a time, thanks to a small implant. It's called encapsulation. And coming up next, we'll talk about this breakthrough therapy. You're listening to Nurse Talk and Progressive Voices. Tune in and all of our broadcast partners.
3: Well, see, when when we were younger, you know, we we were very, very kind of poor. Mm-hmm. And only one person in the neighborhood could afford a turkey cock. The cut of a rooster here, maybe for polite terms. Meaning a male turkey. Male turkey. Okay. So I was sent as a child on the bicycle with our little hen turkey in a burlap bag on the back of the bicycle. Was what, no did you tire up or something? I don't know what we did, but it was done properly. But I know that the bicycle swayed a lot, Casey, with the bird on the back. Uh-huh. So I drove about three miles up a mountainy road to Mm -hmm. this woman and she'd have me sit outside while she took my bird. And then I paid her a shilling when the job
1: was done. Now, how did she? So she would actually watch the little birds have sex? Well, that's what I don't know. Maybe she enjoyed it, Casey. Is that where the expression "a bird in the hand is worth no, two no, in the bush? No,
3: no, 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 nothing to do with that. But anyway, <laughs> she'd come back with my bird in the burlap bag, and away I'd come down the mountain But how road. do you
1: know that the bird got knocked up? Well,
3: when the bird laid, we'd test the eggs, and we knew by testing them that there was a bird in there. Oh, there was a way to test your hen to see that she was pregnant. No, when she laid. No, when the leg, when the, oh, Christ, (laughs) Casey. When the turkey laid the egg. Yeah. And then she'd catch, we could test the eggs and know there was a live bird
1: in there. What? Because some eggs don't have a bird in them? What do they have in there? You're right.
3: Some eggs don't
1: have a bird in there? Nothing. They were rotten. Okay, so let me get this straight. So, Jesus, this female bird goes over. Hangs out with the male bird. For a short time only, Casey. For a short... Well, maybe that's why they had such bad eggs. You didn't even let them have no, any no, foreplay. No, no,
3: no, no, Forget the foreplay. No. Ah, Jesus, Casey. You're I'm... an ignorant. Oh, it, You know, it, when it comes to turkeys and birds, you're an ignorant. Oh,
1: righty, righty, righty-o. When Irish eyes are smiling, sure it's like Come
4: on.
0: You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine.
1: Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today.
0: The Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation is the leading global organization funding type 1 diabetes research. Millions of people around the world live with type 1 diabetes, a life-threatening autoimmune disease that strikes both children and adults.
1: There's no way to prevent it, and at present, no cure. JDRF works every day to change this by amassing grassroots support, deep scientific knowledge and strong industry and academic partnerships to fund research. JDRF funds research that transforms the lives of people with
0: type 1 diabetes. Current research includes artificial pancreas, glucose control and prevention, restoration and complications. Today we'll talk about a breakthrough therapy called encapsulation. We have the good fortune of having Dr. Julia Greenstein with us to explain this therapy.
1: Dr. Greenstein serves JDRF as the Vice President of the Discovery Research, which includes early-stage programs across the JDRF portfolio. Dr. Greenstein received her doctorate in microbiology from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry and was an assistant professor at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute of Harvard Medical School.
0: Dr. Greenstein, welcome to Nurse Talk and thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you. So let's get right to it, Dr. Greenstein. What is encapsulation?
4: Capsulation is really a methodology and a material where you can coat cells either individually or in a device to protect the cells from the immune system of a person who you want to transplant those cells into.
0: So that's an amazing technology. It sounds like so you can any type of cell that you wanted to. I'm guessing not degrade or not be uh, attacked by the immune system. uh, How does it work, and who's going to benefit from this?
4: Well, I mean, it could benefit a lot of approaches in medicine. Uh, the JDRF interest is to replace the insulin-secreting beta cells for a person who has uh, type 1 diabetes.
1: I find this so incredible. So the cells in the encapsulation continue to divide and grow. Is that right?
4: Well, the kind of cells that we're interested in don't. Divide. They're called terminally differentiated cells, Mm -hmm. Um, but theoretically, if you put a dividing cell in, they could divide. You want to keep them healthy and safe, um, so you want them to get nutrients through the pores in the capsule and um, do whatever function they do, and in our case, again, it's about secreting insulin.
1: So in looking at the literature, then, when they started working with the encapsulation cells, it lasted about a month, and now they're up to about a year. How is that? I didn't think cells lasted a year.
4: Well, cells that don't have to divide, I mean, some, some of the cells in your body last from the time that you're born until the time that you die. So if they have the right nutrients, um, they can last a very long time. Um, the aim... When you transplant islets um, with drugs, they can last 5, 7, or even 10 years post-transplant.
0: Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, so how is this different from an artificial pancreas? I, say? I mean, I guess that's fairly obvious, but or like an islet cell transplant or any other sort of transplant?
4: The islet cell transplant can effectively reverse diabetes in a person with type 1 diabetes, but it's at the cost of having to take chronic immunosuppressive drugs, just like if you had a heart or a kidney mm, transplant. Okay. And so in it, that makes sense if a person with diabetes has life-threatening hypoglycemia unawareness. But it doesn't make sense if you're a healthy type one person with type 1 diabetes. So what we've been trying to do is come up with ways to transplant islet cells or other cells where you wouldn't have to use immunosuppression. So that's the big difference, is being able to transplant a cell without having to put a person on the chronic immunosuppressive
1: drug. That's amazing to me. So I'd like you to walk us through the process, but I want to ask in that, how many of these encapsulation things would you, and I would assume you, inject these into the body?
4: So people are doing different things. There's a one type of encapsulation called micro encapsulation, and that's basically putting a bubble um, of material around an islet or a group of islets. Um, and in that case, um, you would want to give a person the same quantity of islets that they have in their body, which is somewhere around two or three million islets. And in that case, the vision is that at least in the animal models right now, they put them free-floating into the peritoneum.
1: So they inject them into the peritoneum. Yes. Okay. So how many encapsulations will hold the two to three million?
4: Well, it might be, you know, depending on the density you want to put in the in the bubble, it may be something like that. It's basically less than a teaspoon of volume, so. Mm-hmm. You know, it might sound like a lot, but it's only a tiny little bit. <laughs> your pancreas is mostly exocrine pancreas, and the amount of beta cells in, any, in a normal person's pancreas is, is only about 1% or 2% of the cells in your pancreas.
0: I feel like I'm kind of digressing, but what is this encapsulation material made of? Is this a, is this a synthetic man-made material?
4: The publication that came out from the Bob Langer collaboration um, in the last two weeks That material is made out of um, a seaweed-derived material called alginate. So it comes from a brown seaweed, and then it's chemically modified to make it more biocompatible. And those are used for this microencapsulation approach. Some of the other um, approaches are what's called a macroencapsulation device, and that's a bigger device where you basically would put the entire volume of cells that you wanted to transplant into one device that looks more like a capsule.
1: But you would still inject that as well?
4: No, that you actually, what people are thinking about is placing them under the subcutaneous layer, under your skin. Uh Uh-huh. So it would mean like a little incision and making a pocket and putting the capsule in the pocket.
0: Like a pacemaker or yeah, something. Yeah, this technology yeah. is amazing. I've been walking around patting myself on the back because I finished a crossword puzzle last <laughs> week. This is incredible. So c- can you talk a little bit about the clinical trials that have been done or, and currently are being done and what the results are so far?
4: Sure. Um, I mean, we're at re- the first stages, which are either phase one or phase one, two trials. Um, So we're primarily looking at safety and signs of efficacy. One of our funded companies is a small company in San Diego called Biocyte, and they're taking a capsule with stem cell-derived beta cell progenitors, so they're not yet functional beta cells, and they're putting those capsules under the skin of people with type 1 diabetes and, um, again, it's very early stages. Um, they've done 12 patients so far. And they just recently announced that they're, what they're starting to see in the capsule is the maturation of those cells into, toward functional beta cells. So they're starting to see insulin particles um, in these cells. People for the first time and that's really
1: exciting that is exciting and then those cells are they excreting insulin
4: that'll be the next step of this trial Um, right now they're looking at um, about 12 weeks post transplant and they're seeing signs of insulin production Wow! in the next steps they'll be looking for signs of insulin production in the serum of these people
0: and so this is Viacites the name of the company right And what is their stock symbol again? <laughs> yeah. uh, they're a private company, ah.
1: <laughs> Well, and this research is quite groundbreaking. So how do you pick? You have 12 individuals who this is being tested on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go through that, and let's say you're successful, how long before something like this would make it to regular folks with type 1 diabetes? That's
4: obviously a crystal ball kind of question. Yeah. I, um, There's a lot of steps between starting to do a clinical trial like this and testing it in enough people so that one can assure safety and efficacy and get regulatory approval from a group like the FDA if you're in the United States. If they're lucky, within the next six or seven or 10 years, we may see this product available for people with type 1 diabetes, but as it goes forward, they may have to work, for example, a little bit more on the capsule or a little bit more on the cells, depending on the results in the early people who get this
1: capsule. And the criteria for people that get in the trials, what I, I would assume you want a fairly healthy type 1, somebody right with now type it
4: 1. it is a fairly healthy type 1 yeah. population. Somebody with established type 1 diabetes, you start in adults, and right now that's the target population.
1: And I would imagine that people who are already having complications from type 1 diabetes aren't going to be in these trials.
4: Not in these first few trials. Right.
0: When are the next trials coming up? I guess it depends on if these trial 1 and 1A are successful, yeah?
4: That's right. And um, the next step in this trial will be to increase the number of cells that they put in the capsule, right? So the FDA asked them to start with a very low number to show safety of the procedure and Safety of the you know, exposure to a potentially low number of the cells, and then their aim will be to increase the number of cells so that they can start to see function of
1: the cells that are in the capsule. Incredible. This is this research is just incredible. Now, for people with type one diabetes now, are we just the same protocols that we're doing as injecting insulin or an insulin pump or something like that? Is there anything else for these folks?
4: I mean current therapies you know, are getting better and better, and the pumps and the um, and the continuous glucose monitor technology is getting better. We've seen some changes in the um, types of insulin that are available, mm-hmm. and we're also seeing some use of what we call adjunct therapies, similar to what type two diabetics get treated with. There is some adjunct therapies that make it easier to maintain level of glucose.
1: Fascinating. Amazing. This is, yeah. and this research came about. I'm just curious a while ago about the gene splicing. So, did that technology help this?
4: Not yet. Actually, um, we're in fact JDRF just put a, out a request for proposals for scientists to combine these two approaches. So, the reason that you have this encapsulation requirement is because of the immune recognition of these cells. Both because people with type one have an autoimmune response. But they're also foreign tissue, just like a kidney transplant between two people. Right. And so if we can use the genetic editing technology, we think that we can decrease the what we consider the immune barrier and make it simpler to find the right um, encapsulation technology. So mm-hmm. we think that it, over time they'll complement one another. I see. So we, we know a lot about what genes the immune system are are recognizing when they reject foreign tissue and so one of the things that scientists have been proposing is to basically cut out those antigens that we know trigger an immune response the other thing that people are thinking about is to put genes in that will make the cells less easy to recognize so we think it'll be a combination of taking things out and putting things in.
0: So you couldn't, like, split a gene of mine and mix it with, say, like a stegosaurus or a tyrannosaurus rex?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure we want or, to go or, there. Or, or just like an Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, I'll sign up for that
0: <laughs> trial. Anyway. We,
1: do, we do want to make a super beta cell, but I'm not sure <laughs> it'll
0: DNA from a dinosaur. So anything else you'd like to add?
4: No, we're just really excited for the support that, JDRF gets from the public, and the ability to really drive research forward to be practical and and result in better therapies for people with type 1 diabetes.
1: Well, incredible work that you're doing. I am just fascinated by all of this, and it just seems like it's growing in leaps and bounds every day with the new research and new ideas. It's just incredible work. Thank you so much for your work on this, because it's going to affect so many millions of Americans.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks to JDRF as well. We've been talking with Dr. Julia Greenstein, Vice President of Discovery Research for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation.
1: For more information on JDRF and encapsulation, visit nursetalksite.com or the jdrf.org. Dr. Greenstein, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us today on Nurse Talk and thank you for
0: this most important work. You're welcome. Next up, don't wait, just tell me our weekly quiz.
1: We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk.
3: (laughs) (laughs) When I'm out here on the prairie, I listen to nurse talk radio. Because? laughter is the best medicine.
1: It goes well with pork and beans as well. (laughs) Is that a real wolf? (laughs) Okay, it's time to play Don't Wait, Just Tell Me, our Nurse
0: Talk Weekly Quiz. It's multiple choice, and we practically spoon-feed you the answers, so here we go.
1: All right, who's playing with us today? Who's on the line?
4: Hi, my Hi. Brianna. Hi, Brianna. <laughs> nice
1: to meet you. Nice uh, to meet you. Okay, we're going to get right to it. Are you ready for the first question? It's multiple choice, so it won't be too hard, I hope. Much is in the news these days, and it's hard to determine truth from fiction. One of the individuals has played a role in a major news story this week. Who is it, and why is he in the news? It is, number one, John Hamm, number two, Jim Carlson, number three, Jennifer Hudson, and number four, Lavoie Finnicum. Hmm. Yeah, I know, that's tough. Yeah. Jo- I see.
2: Think-
0: this number four. Very <laughs> oh, good, oh, Leboy right. <laughs> Number four, Leboy Pinnica. What? Now, why was he in the news? Do you know?
2: I have no idea. I just <laughs> thought the name was cool. Okay.
0: That's good.
1: Well, well, I think it's not a cool name, but whatever.
0: Yeah. He's part of the Brady <laughs> Bunch, who are the armed militia in the Oregon standoff. So Finnegan considers himself the group's in-house constitutional scholar. <laughs> he was recently interviewed on television while sitting on a recliner under under a blue plastic tarp holding a gun.
1: On his lap, which is a yeah. crack-up shame because, of course, this guy is just ridiculous. Yeah.
0: All right. So question number two. You ready, Brianna. Yes, I am. Okay. A recent Asian medical study confirms the following. Number one, that women over 50 are living longer. Number two, that young men who smoke reduce their risk of gout. Number three, that Valium reduces colds and flu. Or number four, that female brains are larger than male brains by the time they're four years old. Wow, Um, there's several lines like I think the
2: female brain is larger than the male brain.
1: I would love that to be the answer, Brianna. I'm with you on that one. Unfortunately, they're saying it's incorrect, but I think their information is incorrect. What's really correct is it's number two. The overall risk of gout among individuals who reported current smoking was 20% lower than for those who never smoked, according to a study done at the National University Health System in Singapore. But that does not mean you should take up smoking, folks. Please don't.
0: So that's good. You're Thank a winner, you. as far as we're concerned. Thank you, Brianna.
1: Thank not that you. we're not that we're sending you anything, Brianna, but don't you feel smarter?
0: Yes. All right.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for calling in and thanks for listening. That's it for this week's Don't Wait, Tell Me Now. Thanks for playing with us. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk. Make sure to visit our website at nursetalksite.com and follow us on Twitter at hashtag Nursetalk.
1: Thanks to our executive producer Patty Lockard, sound engineer June Miller, and all of our wonderful listeners. For more info about any of today's topics, visit nursetalksite.com or nnu.org. And listen to us every weekend on Progressive Voices Tune In. Remember, to laugh, you got to listen. To listen, you got to tune in. We'll see you next week. We love you out there. Have a good week.
0: Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook, or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.